I don't know what that was like for you, but it felt a little bit like Wednesday night, you know, when Typhoon, whatever her name was, came through, and it was raining so hard, and we're watching our street get soaked and everything else, and that's the way that music felt this morning. It was just a, a drenching of a soul. Maybe it's a soul that's thirsty and just needed a good drink. Maybe it's a soul that feels a little dirty and needed a good cleansing. Whatever it was, I hope that music today really did something to connect you in a new, fresh way with your Father who loves you, with Christ who died to give you life, and the Holy Spirit who is present here because you're here right now and He's present in you. Our servers are going to come and they're going to collect the offering. And I'm going to give you, hold on just a sec, just long enough for people to go, whoops, they're doing that now, okay? So you need to pull out a wallet or a purse, go ahead and do that. You need to get your card in, whatever, do that. So just give you one moment. And as, as we're waiting for that, I um, wanted to tell you about a couple of things that are going on. And the first one is that next week, if you show up at 9 o'clock, you'll be enjoying an hour of silence, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We've been, we've been talking to a lot of people, and it's just like, because the 4th of July is on Monday, everybody and their brother is going out of town. I mean, right down to the fact that uh, we have a worship team that would be composed of a bass next week. So in light of that, we thought, why not just do one of those Sundays where we get everybody in one room? I always love this from this standpoint. People meet people that they had no idea come to our church, you know, like relatives. And they go, oh, you're kidding me. You go to Southfield? I didn't know. And we go to separate services. So next week we'll do one service at 1030. So you get a little bit slower, slower start to the day. I know that's going to be inconvenient for some of you. Some, nine is the only time you can do, and I'm really sorry about that. Some of you, you know, childcare is an issue for you. But, but it's fun on those days to bring everybody together as opposed to like, Four of us in the room staring at each other, wondering why we didn't go on vacation too. So those of us that are left behind, that you know, are just going to enjoy a backyard barbecue or whatever, we will enjoy uh, a lot more fun together as we're all gathered. So servers are coming right now uh, to go ahead and receive the offering. And um, I want to remind you of some things that are going on. Uh, Quest, day camp is just a couple weeks away. In fact, Kim said, I think sometime early next week, it's two weeks from Monday, and I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, come on, really? And then I realized that, you know, based on an event that happened Friday, literally every two weeks, there's something major happening in our life until now the end of the summer. So yeah, it's just a couple of weeks away. A couple of things you need to know about that. First of all, uh, if you're involved in leading, you probably got an email that said, hey, there's a meeting tonight at 6.30. Don't forget about that meeting. Be there one of those times to get a handle on what you're doing and just start to really build that team together. That's, that's really important. Uh, praying. We want to continue to keep this whole process immersed in prayer. And so we've had that prayer guide available for you. A fresh prayer guide is uh, back on, there's a copy on each table, copies on each table as you're leaving today. So if you've been using that guide, make sure you go ahead and get one of those and use it. And then finally, we want to remind you that this is like, this is really the last week to get kids, kids registered. We want to make sure that they're, that they're registered. And, you know, we've got, right now we've got space. We'd like to see about 30 more kids, okay? So what is that going to mean? We've been doing a good job, really good job, sharing it on Facebook and getting it out all, all over the place. And now it just comes down to the 
walk across the street, you know your neighbor has kids, and say, hey, would you like to get rid of your kids for a week? Here's a website you can check out, and they're going to have a lot of fun. I did that at my own neighborhood. I walked across the street, talked to my neighbors, and said, hey, what's your kids doing the week of July 11th? So make those invitations, get those out there. Uh, Honestly, as a church, that's what we're about. We're not always mailing cards and billboards and everything else. We just believe that if you're sold on something, you'll tell somebody else. And we want that, that part of our culture to always continue. So that goes right down to our kids. We want to encourage our kids to be inviters, to be that, that Andrew who's inviting people to Jesus. So uh, let's, let's keep that up. That's really, really important. Other than that, I mean, it's kind of funny. We've officially become the church of the newlywed. I got a privilege on Friday in an outdoor service in 90-degree weather in my suit that I wear at weddings, funerals, and Easter. No, I didn't even wear it Easter this year. But anyway, um, to stand and, and unite Mr. and Mrs. Brandon Davis in marriage. We now have Mr. and Mrs. Tyler Yost. They're married and we'll be, they're back from their honeymoon probably, something like that. So they'll be around pretty soon. And then uh, come the end of next month, there'll be a, a new Mr. and Mrs. Pat, which is really weird. Really, really, really weird. But anyway, so um, just kind of congratulate those people as you see them. We are going to uh, have a little fun right now. You need a little fun. If we're going to talk about forgiveness, you need some fun. So, Shelly's been working like a mad dog to take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures and video clips and everything that came from the week of Green Lake with all these 70 kids and adults and whatever together, and she's smashed them down to like a three and a half minute video. In fact, there's so much that we're going to have another one again next week, a fresh one to keep you going, but um, watch for your kid. Watch for the fun. There's good stuff in this, okay? You ready for some smiling? Go ahead, pull your smile out of your pocket. You're going to need it. In the morning when my heart is cold, you're the heat for my weary soul. You're the good in all I know. In the mirror
You know the old saying, work hard, play hard. I saw a lot of play hard, so I'm going to assume there was a lot of work hard. They, they had a great time. Uh, that line keeps going over and over my head, in part because when Shelly's making a video, we get to hear the line over and over, but um, I'll be with you in heavenly places. Well, I heard that, and I'm watching these pictures of these kids, and I'm going, they're going to be together forever, and we're going to be together forever, and I can't wait for that. Last week, I talked about what I'm going to love most about heaven, what I'm looking forward to most right now, and for me, a big piece of heaven right now is to be with people in heavenly places and to have perfect relationships, to not have the brokenness that goes with being a human, to not have the misunderstandings that come because our emotions, our minds, our hearts, everything about us has been tainted and marred by sin. And so we don't hear the way we're going to hear. And we don't understand each other the way we're going to understand each other. You can do the very best job. You can be the, the most devoted Christ follower in the world. And I'm, I'm telling you what, somebody's not going to like you. You're going to have a conflict with somebody along the way. So what do we do in life when we have these, these conflict situations? Especially, I mean, some of them are deep and hard and heavy. What do we do with them when Jesus calls on us and says, I need you, I want you to forgive that person? So I need you to do something this morning that is quite literally impossible, but you're going to give it a whirl. Um, you walked in here, and if you knew what we were talking about today, some of you walked in with, with your... Um, your case in hand, your situation, your struggling relationship, the, you know, the, the ex-spouse, the, the person who treated you very poorly when you were a child, whatever, you, you walked in with that situation and you said, in 30 minutes, I hope he gives me all the answers because I need help. And what I want you to do right now is to take whatever that situation is and just push it aside. Act as if it doesn't exist. Don't think about it for a little while. And, and, and here's the main reason why. Because we need to look at the topic of forgiveness objectively. We need to look at it outside of the lens of our emotion, our hurt, our pain, all that stuff. And we need to be able to just look at forgiveness from the standpoint of what does Jesus say about this? And then once we hear what Jesus says about this, we can start to look at, okay, now here's my situation. Because what we'll tend to do, if we, if we hold too tightly to our situation right now, everything Jesus says, we'll come back with that very simple word, but. But, but what about me? But what about my situation? But what about this? But what about that? We need to just hear Jesus. And after we've listened to him, then let's bring the situation back into his presence, and we can talk about that then. So today we're talking about this question that came up multiple times from a lot of different people. What do I do with forgiveness? What do I do with reconciliation? I want to give you a working definition of forgiveness. And, you know, a working definition is basically a way to say it's not the classic definition. It's the definition we're going to use today to kind of build the conversation that we're having together. So as our working definition. It's simply forgiveness is an invitation to freedom. Jesus is inviting you to freedom. Because truth be told, if you were to really think about the situation in which you, which you're not allowed to, by the way, but if you're really thinking about the situation that you need forgiveness 
or you have not offered forgiveness, especially if you've not offered it, you're finding more and more that that situation feels a lot like a prison. You find yourself feeling a little bit tormented. And in forgiveness, Jesus is saying, I'm actually extending you an invitation to take out a key to unlock the chain and to become free once again. Equally, you're going to be giving somebody else the opportunity to experience freedom as you release them from the prison of your lack of forgiveness. So forgiveness is an invitation to freedom. Now, what I want to do is look at a number of classic passages by Jesus and Paul about forgiveness. We're just going to go through these quickly. I'm going to point out some things that, that might leave you with some questions. And if, if you're going to talk about forgiveness, you pretty much have to go back to that, that beautiful prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In those very words, Jesus starts to lay out, number one, how Christianity is going to be different from any other religion and philosophy in the world. A lot of other religions and philosophies, including some operating and present in our own very day, are based on revenge, retaliation, getting even, making the score right. And Jesus says, Christ followers will live differently. Christ followers will reflect the nature and character of their father, Forgive as you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven, so you're going to be a person who extends forgiveness as well. And Jesus just wants that clear from the beginning, and he keeps coming back to it again and again and again, that there's going to be this correlation between a person who knows Jesus and a person who is willing to extend forgiveness because that person knows how very much they've been extended forgiveness. Jesus goes on in that passage to say, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to give others, forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Now, some of us, you read that passage and you go, what's going on there? Does that mean that if I've not forgiven every, everybody, I can't be a Christian? Does that mean that if I've not forgiven everybody, I lose my salvation? We talk a lot, about, a lot of, about needing to read passages in light of their context. And their context is not only just the verses that preceded and followed, but it's really the context of the entire Bible. The entire Bible makes quite clear that if I'm a devoted Christ follower, uh, I'm a child of God, and my sin cannot separate me from God. My, I, have, I have been forgiven. I'm redeemed. What's going on here? Really what's going on here is Jesus is once again reiterating this simple concept that Christ followers are different, that we are forgivers because we've been forgiven. And if you're doing a fruit check, if you're taking the time to just examine your own salvation and ask, so where is my standing with God? If you find yourself a bitter, resentful, unforgiving person, it is, it is really important to spend some time asking yourself, do I even have God in my life? Is there a reflection of the nature and character of God in my life? Because God, Jesus is saying, you're going to be like your dad. And your father is so forgiving. And he wants us to do the same. Over in Luke, he says, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't go for a doormat theology. He says, hey, if there's, if there's a sin there, you need to talk about it. And if they repent, forgive them. Do you see that? 
that it's not just this blanket statement of, oh, I, whatever, I don't care, it's okay. It's as if they repent. There's, some, there's, there's a change involved. There's some real restoration of the relationship that needs to take place. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, one of the things we need to understand about Jesus is he, he does love hyperbole. He, he, likes to, he likes to make a point and make it big. And so part of what he's doing here is making a point and making it big. The teaching of the day among the rabbis was that you had to forgive somebody three times. Number four, you were off the hook. So as long as you forgave them three times, you were good. Jesus comes along with this number seven, a number of perfection, a number that's two times plus one, what the rabbis were saying. Now what does that mean? At number eight, that's it, you're done. At number 491, you're done? No, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. What he's saying is forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And, and don't forget that it says if they come saying, I repent. And that's not just a technical phrase, but, but there's real sincerity of heart. Now, you also have to wonder about the person who would offend you seven times a day. Hopefully, there's some growth going on in them that that's not going to be happening either. This is a reflection of what was already going on in the Old Testament. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. So that whole rebuking came from Leviticus. Do not seek revenge or bear a grunge against anyone of your, among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then I love when he ends statements this way. I am the Lord. Just in case you forgot, this is not just a friendly reminder. I am the Lord. This is the way I want you to live. This is what life is all about. And really what we're talking about here in forgiveness is that, is that second part, seeking revenge, bearing a grudge, holding that level of resentment that is putting that person in a prison when, when our lack of forgiveness has gone full-blown to bitterness and rage and just intolerable anger. Jesus wants us to deal with that in part because he knows it's a prison we're living in. It's not a prison we're putting self, someone else in. We're locking the door on ourselves, and he wants us to experience freedom. Peter asked that question. They believe he asked it in part because of what the rabbis were saying. How often should I forgive someone's sin? Seven times? He thinks he's being magnanimous. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, what I want you to see um, is a note. This is a note in the, the New, New International Study Bible, which is uh, actually done by one of my professors at Trinity, and I heard him teach on this, and I love what he says. 77 times seems to be a more likely translation than 70 times 7. Either way, the point is not to withhold forgiveness on the 78th time or, or the 491st offense. The number 77 and 490 are multiples of 7, the Jewish number of completeness. But Luke 17, 3 to 4 shows us that this kind of forgiveness requires repentance, which in turn refers to a change of behavior and not just, a, uh, and, and not just attitude. Of course, even when there is no repentance, believers must not harbor grudges, plot retaliation, or remain embittered. We're starting to see something building here. That if, that if true forgiveness is going to be present, if true forgiveness, if restoration is going to be present, there's going to have to be some repentance on the part of the offender. So you're seeing that start to build, and yet having said that, even when a person is unrepentant, the Bible is saying we still don't have the right then to harbor grudges, plot retaliation, or remain 
embittered. Don't stay there. Don't stay in that place. And then in this passage, he gives us this classical, beautiful parable of Jesus. And this parable is probably one of the most well-known parables. This parable of a guy who owns tons of money, and and the person to whom he owes it says, you are free. Unlocks him, forgives him, lets him out of the prison of his debt. And what does he do? He goes out in the street, he finds someone owes him just a little bit of money. And he says, I want my money back. I'm throwing you in prison until you give the money back, until you do it. And and just in telling this story and just in hearing this story, you can hear the people in their hearts saying, who in the world would do that? Who in the world would do that? And Jesus' point is what? You're the one that's been forgiven the millions and millions of dollars of debt. And you're strangling the somebody, the someone in your life who owes you 50 bucks. And it ends in an interesting way. He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What will he do? Throw you in debtor prison. Throw you in separation. Now again, I believe what God is saying here is that the person who lives in a consistent state of bitterness, grudge holding, resentment, has to really do some fruit checking and ask, am I even a child of God? Because a child of God is ultimately able to come back and say, hey, this is not consistent with living the life of a devoted Christ follower. It's not what God looks like. This is a passage in which Jesus is talking about, in Mark 11, Jesus is talking about faith that will move mountains, pray for anything, and, and not doubt. And then verse 25 says, But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. You know, we can't just continue to go through our religious practices, going to church, doing communion, praying, doing our version uh, devotionals, all this stuff that, that's very much what it looks like to be a Christian, and at the same time just say, and I refuse, I absolutely refuse to deal with this hatred that I feel in my heart. We, we can't do it. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says it just plain doesn't work that way. You come over to the writings of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all kinds of evil behavior. So, I mean, this is, this is forgiveness that's been allowed to fester. It's really been allowed to bloom. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Can you see the difference in those words? Kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving versus bitterness, rage, and anger. You know, not too long ago, Kim and I were talking about this sermon coming up, and we're talking about a situation that we know of, and, and, and she just made this phrase, and, and it was profound, and I said, I got to text it to myself so I can use it in that sermon. Here it is. Bitterness makes you crazy. Bitterness makes, have you seen how some people just get a little loony when bitter takes control of their life? They start doing and saying things that you say, that's the action of a nut. That's the action of a crazy person. Something is wrong there. And what's happened? They have locked themselves in the prison of non-forgiveness for so long that they become bitter, resentful, anger. They start distorting reality. They start making up lies. They They start justifying and doing everything they can to make themselves look good because they can't admit that where they're living is just playing in a, in a debtor's prison of lack of forgiveness. In Colossians, listen to, the, listen to this. Paul says, Make allowance for each other's faults 
Maybe what we should do is not even preach another sermon for the rest of the year and just come and read this every week and go home. Make allowance for each other's faults. We're horrible at giving other people the benefit of doubt. We're horrible sometimes at just acknowledging, you know what? I live among broken sinners, and I am one too. We need to make allowance for other people's faults. Sometimes people mess up. Sometimes people say the wrong things. Sometimes they don't say it well. Sometimes they get it wrong. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's that correlation again. What did God do for you? You do the same for what, others, uh, for what he did. And then in the broader context, you see him just talking about being tenderhearted, kind, humble, gentle, patient. He talks about the peace that rules in our hearts when we are people who are willing to forgive as opposed to the restlessness that lives in our hearts when we insist on holding the grudge. And then we have those words of Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I tell you what, I've watched the Passion of the Christ a number of times. I've watched a number of other depictions of the crucifixion of Jesus. And when I hear those words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, I look at the crowd and I go, no, they know what they're doing. They're killing them. They're killing, they want Jesus gone. And Jesus, of course, is saying, yeah, that's all they think they're doing is killing me. What they don't realize right now is that they're tools in the hands of Satan. They're tools in the hands of Satan. Can we actually have the perspective sometimes when somebody offends us or does something wrong to us in in just an absolutely horrible way that they don't even realize what they're doing? They don't even, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not letting them off the hook, but they don't even realize the way in which in that moment they're being used by the enemy for something evil. Beautiful story in Genesis 32 and 33 of some of the original sibling rivalry. You have Jacob and Esau, and they've just been battling it out literally since birth. And they have a mom and dad who just love to reinforce the rivalry between the two. Jacob cheats Esau out of his birthright. Esau is furious, wants to kill him. Jacob runs away for years. He's gone for a long time. And Jacob begins to go through a growing up process where he realizes, I've just got to go back and face it. I've got to go back home. I've got to face what I've done. I've got to face the consequences of my actions. He heads on home, and as he's heading home in chapter 33, some of his people go out ahead and they say, Esau's coming. He's bringing an army of 400 people. I don't know about you, but if somebody's bringing an army, I'm not feeling real welcomed. I'm thinking this is probably big trouble. And at this point, Jacob shows that he's growing, but not growing a lot, because what does he do? He puts everybody out front and keeps himself way at the back, along with the people he loves most, and says, you know, let's stay back here. You know, if, if things go bad, that crowd will go that way. We'll run this way. Hopefully, he'll chase them. And so, you know, there, there's still some growing up to do in this guy, but, but I, I love what happens because it says in verse 4, by the way, he bowed, uh, Jacob bowed seven times to the ground. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Seven times. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? I love this, I love this moment. You know, there's no talk, there's just this embrace, there's this weeping, and then kind of the immediate, so how's life been going? What, what's been happening here? And, and Jacob went out of his way to, to try to give uh, Esau a tremendous gift. And Esau's saying, you don't have to do that, I'm doing all right, things are, things are going well in my life. And verse 10 says, no please, Jacob said, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face 
is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Can you hear? Can you hear the lock being unlocked? Can you hear what happened in that moment? That forgiveness is present, and in that moment, he receives him. He receives him in such a way that he sees the face of God in that moment of forgiveness. Wouldn't it be great in our own lives if we could have that kind of a moment, that kind of a situation where there's this freedom that comes once again, the embracing, the kissing, and that moment of saying, in you, in your graciousness, in your forgiveness, in the way that you've received me favorably, I actually see the face of God. Just a beautiful, beautiful story. I think when it comes down to it on forgiveness, and again, not really thinking about our situations, but the objective word of God, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we generally being small-minded or are we seeing the big picture? Uh, Let me just go through some big picture concepts. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you see big picture enough to know that sometimes when somebody does something against you, they're being used by Satan? I'm not saying that they don't have the choice. I'm not saying that, that they're not choosing to do what they're doing, but there's a greater force of evil going on in the world, and they've got caught up. They've gotten caught up in that force of evil. Sometimes that's what's happening. There's a bigger picture perspective that Jesus was able to have that said uh, there's something bigger going on than some people that are just ticked off at me. We have the bigger picture perspective of Luke chapter 7. This woman who comes and, and washes the feet of Jesus and anoints them. And, 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 and he has this conversation with the other guy and he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. And, and really what Jesus is saying here is not that, wow, she's a horrid sinner and you're not that bad a sinner. So, so you don't feel it, but she does. What he's he's saying is she gets how much she's been forgiven. Do we honestly get how much we've been forgiven? Do we get it? Because I think a lot of us still think, you know what? God came in and he did a little polishing up, but I was pretty good. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were all unrighteous. We all needed the complete and full forgiveness and grace of God. So the big picture is to say, I've been loved a lot, and I, for, I know that I've been forgiven a lot, and so I want to forgive. We have the big picture of Joseph in Genesis 50, who's able to say, what you intended for evil, God actually worked out for good. God had a bigger purpose that he was able to use, even though you did something horrible. Even though you did something that was absolutely dreadful, God was able to turn that and do something beautiful. God can bring beauty out of the worst chaos of our lives. He can bring beauty out of the worst chaos of our lives. Hebrews 12, 14 to 15, make every effort to live in peace with everybody and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's a big picture on forgiveness. If we don't let it go, It starts to grab us by the throat, and it doesn't let us go. And it goes from being unforgiving to being bitter, resentful, hateful, revengeful. We come to the point that really nobody wants to be around us because we're just a seething mess all the time. It overtakes our life. Big picture, do not take revenge, my dear brothers, but leave room for God's wrath. I love the way that's worded. 
Give God space to work. Give God, you, you're not God. Give God space to work. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, now that's not saying, okay, good. I won't, I'll forgive him knowing that God's going to whack him good. That, that's not what's going on. But, but it is a sense of when we're not forgiving, we're saying somebody's got to clean up this mess and it's my job to do it. And God's saying, uh, I'm in control of the universe. I got this one. Breathe, relax, move on with your life. Romans 12, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know, I think a lot of times people read this and they go, hey, this is a great way to get back at the guy. I'll be nice at him. No, what's really going on here is Paul is saying, when we show kindness to evil, we're giving that person a chance to find God. We are actually, when we handle forgiveness situations properly, we are giving them a chance to see who God is and what God looks like. And when we just reinforce evil for evil, well, they know that. They live that life. And another big picture piece, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is really the basic principle of Christianity. We're supposed to be people that are constantly on the side of good. We don't use evil to get good. We're about good. We're all about good. You know, we asked a couple weeks ago about for, uh, salvation. Is it a point or a process? The same could be asked about forgiveness. Is it a point or a process? Um, and I think the answer, once again, is yes. I think there is a point at which we say, I forgive you. And there's a process in which we keep working through the forgiveness, where you might actually forgive somebody, and 20 minutes later, you're, you're, you're just feeling it come back. And there's, there's a releasing that has to come again and, and working through it. A great little book I read not too long ago. I, I don't recommend everything in it, but it's a good book. It's called Don't Forgive Too Soon. It looks a little bit like a kitty book. And, 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 and in it, what, what this author does, what these authors do, is they, they compare forgiveness to that... Um, to the stages of grief that people go through, those, those five stages, and said, basically, what we do when we're forgiving a person, we go through these stages. So, so denial, I don't admit I was hurt. Have you ever gone through that? You know, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's okay. And you're bleeding all over the place. Oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Anger, it's their fault that I'm hurt. And we get really ticked off. Bargaining, I set up conditions to be fulfilled before I will forgive. Depression, it's my fault that I'm hurt acceptance. I look forward to growth from the hurt. You see, sometimes when a person's too quick to just say, it's okay, it's forgiven, don't worry about it, I kind of wonder if it's really forgiven or if it's just been swept up under the rug because the person doesn't really want to deal with the depth of pain that they're feeling. So it's a process. We work through this process. And I think that as we work through the process, Part of what's beautiful about it is God is growing something in us. He's growing something in us. He's given, he's given us this opportunity to say, okay, are you in the mood to grow or not? And he's given, us, he's given us an opportunity. How do I know if or when I've been truly, if or when I've truly forgiven someone? So this is just me personally. This isn't the Bible. This is Dennis. This is life. How, you know, I've had, I've had more than a handful of situations in my life that aren't just, you know, somebody stole my parking spot, but, but stuff that was just, you know, involving betrayal, involving deep hurt, uh, the kind of stuff that leaves a, leaves a relationship really damaged. How do I know if I've truly forgiven them? I find generally I go through three stages. The first stage is kind of a seething anger that looks forward to bad things happening to them. 
I'll be looking out from my house and I see a fire ri- or smoke rising from the sky and I go, hmm, could be theirs. <laughs> you know, I, okay, that's me. Uh, there's, there's kind of that admission that God has lightning, he's not afraid to use it, and I sure hope he aims it over there today. I, I know at that point I've not forgiven them. I'm kind of, I have discernment. Um, what I find then is that I move from a state of wanting to see their destruction to, uh, to kind of just neutrality. I don't care that they exist. They're not on my radar. They're, they're, not, they're not in my circle anymore. It's been a few years. I'm kind of indifferent. You know, so what? They breathe air over there, not taking up my space. That's nice. It's okay. And you know what? At that point, I've still not forgiven. It's when I can actually come to the point of praying for them and my prayer isn't an obsession about how angry I am about them. It's when I can actually hope the best for them. I hope life goes well for them. I hope good things happen. It's then that I go, okay, forgiveness really has taken root. Now, let me just say this on reconciliation. There are lots of people in your life that you will forgive and the relationship will not be restored. And people really mix this up. They think forgiveness is not complete until we are back to where we were, until everything's perfect and just right and it's great. Well, what do, you, what do you do if the person died? You know, I mean, there's no reconciliation that can be had there. Or what if you do, what do you do if you've come to the point of saying, I'm willing to release you from prison, but they're not repentant. They're not there. They're still living in, a, in an alternate reality. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. I am so glad that Paul included the words, as far as it depends on you. He didn't say, live at peace with everybody. I mean, in order to do that, we would just have to doormat life away. Just lay down, let them walk all over me. If it is possible, he conditions it. As far as it depends on you, he conditions it. Live at peace with everybody. Or in other words, you've done everything you can do and you can do no more. I think what it comes down to for the really severely broken relationships in my life I come to a point that I'm able to say, if they were to contact me, if they wanted to work this through, if they wanted to express repentance, I'm ready. I'm ready. That's when I know I'm reconciled as far as I can be reconciled. And now I just have to wait for the day that that God will do in their heart what he needs to do in order for them want to come back to that place. But I think for a lot of us, we feel this intense guilt. We feel like forgiveness has not come full circle because the relationship is not back where it was. And truth be told, sometimes the relationship cannot be back where it was. If the situation involved molestation, let me just give the most extreme case here, okay? If the situation involved molestation, forgiveness is not, now I'm going to let my children be babysat by you. Wisdom would never do that. We live, we live with an informed mind. You know, there's this, there's this nice saying, forgive and forget. That's humanly impossible, folks. 
It's not possible to forgive and forget. We can live as if it never happened, and at the same time, we have to live with a degree of wisdom, a degree of wisdom that looks and says, how am I supposed to act in light of what happened? I am to forgive. I am to be reconciled as much as it depends on me, but I realize there's a whole bunch of stuff in that other person's life that they need to deal with. It's their deal, and there's nothing I can do about that. So coming back to that, that statement from that professor, I wanted you to see the end line. But without another party's repentance, there can be no full reconciliation. Sometimes we have to live with the fact that if they are believers, in heaven we'll get along. But for now, I have done all I can do. There is no more that I can do. Here I am. You see, relationships are built on this word right here, trust. And if trust is not being restored, whole reconciliation is not possible. It's not completely possible. But forgiveness is completely possible. It is possible to say, I I no longer hold a grudge against you, I no longer believe it is my place to retaliate, to punish you. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. But it is possible that you'll still find yourself in a state of saying, and this is where the relationship is going to be until until there's a degree of repentance that we're actually able to experience a trusting relationship once again. I just brought this in. You know, Jesus makes this comment, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. And what I wanted to get to there is that that hard-heartedness, in other words, what Jesus was saying is, originally God intended that our relationships would be great, but sin entered into the picture. And God does recognize that sometimes we are at a place that forgiveness may be extended, but it is not possible for this relationship to move forward from here in a trusting way. And so God has allowed for that. Let me just say one thing about ongoing consequences. Do you remember that when David sinned against God, sinned with Bathsheba, sinned by killing her husband, that even though he received full forgiveness, there is no question of his forgiveness, there were ongoing consequences to his sin that did not just simply go away. They did not simply go away. And the same is true sometimes in these situations, that even though we're able to extend forgiveness, reconciliation may mean there are consequences that remain, and there's nothing we can do about those consequences. So all of this plays into what we're going to do when it comes to being reconciled, which really being reconciled is a whole sermon in itself, and honestly, this whole thing has been a whole series in itself, and we've tried to deal with it in 35 minutes. Forgiveness is an invitation to freedom, and so I ask you today, will you accept Christ's invitation to freedom? Now it's time to come back to your situation and to take the objective truth of the Bible and ask yourself the question, am I ready to unlock, my, unlock myself from the prison I placed myself in? Because that's the sad reality for most of us. We have gone from being unforgiving to being bitter, resentful, angry, rage-filled, resentful, looking for revenge. And you will only experience the true peace of Christ in your life and heart 
when you take that key of forgiveness and unlock it and say, you know what, as much as I can right now, I forgive you. I forgive you. I give up my right to the grudge. I give up my right to the things I perceive to be my right to have my way in this situation. Here's the way we're going to end today. We're going to end with communion and walk out. Okay? So, um, we've got our stations. We have a song playing. That's actually a pretty cool song. It's written by a guy who's acknowledging that his childhood really, really was horrid. And he's back in his childhood home and just experiencing all the junk that went along with that and says 70 times seven times. That's how many times I'm going to forgive you for what you did to me. And I want to encourage you to use this time right now uh, to just, if you need to for the next 15 minutes, just sit here. If you want to take communion and go, go ahead. But just use this as a time that you, you take what you've heard and you process it. You let it, you let it soak into your heart and you ask God, what, what is it that you want me to do? How am I supposed to move forward from here? It may be as simple as, God, will you help me in the weeks and months to come to figure out what forgive looks like? To figure out what reconcile looks like? Father God in heaven, forgiving is one of the hardest things we have to do as people who love you. In this moment, I pray that you would give us a glimmer of the great love that's been shown to us so that we can show it to someone else by forgiving them. In the name of Jesus, amen. I've been living in this house here since the day that I was born These walls have seen me happy But most of all they've seen me torn They've heard the screaming matches That made a family fall apart They've had a front row seat To the breaking of my heart Seven times, seventy Someone to notice me I felt alone and undiscovered And old enough to understand Just when I'm supposed to be learning to love you Let me down again Seven times, seventy times I'll do what it takes to make it right I thought the pain was 
the cost, I'll pay the price. Seven times, 70 times, I'll do what it takes to make it right. I thought the pain was here to stay, but forgiveness made a way. Since the day that I was born